Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. show lined up for you folks, and I am juiced. My name is Joe Pacino, and my tag team partner and co-host is David Gomez. Sir, how are you? Doing wonderful, sir. Uh, ready to get this show under, uh, underway, as it were. I keep getting under wraps and under the road and all that other stuff mixed up. But folks, as always, if you'd like to be a part of the show, make sure you give us a call, 714-364-4721. Once again, 714-364-4721. Check us out at puregopg.com. Of course, you can find our Twitter links, our Facebook links, and uh, the wonderful YouTube that we haven't updated in I don't know how long. JB? Thanks, DG. On the program tonight, Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post joins us to talk about history in the making. That's right. The Mets have done it. A no-hitter first time in history. We'll be talking with Mike Vaccaro about that and about the Mets uh, so far this year. We'll also be talking to Kevin Canessa, who will be talking about the potential last game of the NHL season. Hopefully it's not for you Devil fans. And me and DJ will break down the NBA playoffs. What a ride it's been so far if you're a Celtic fan. Yes, sir, uh, definitely. And, of course, if you're a Spurs fan or a Thunder fan or a Heat fan, <laughs> it's been quite uh, an NBA playoff, sir. It's actually unbelievable to think about the fact that, uh, you know, we're sitting where we're sitting. But, of course, sir, that cannot be the first thing we discuss. That, <laughs> no, it can't. No can't. way. No way. Absolutely no way. Folks, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing. As uh, Joe mentioned, we are going to have Mike Vaccaro joining us this evening, and uh, he should be calling in any minute. But, man, Joe, feels good to be a Mets fan. Uh, It's kind of hard to say that after last night's absolute, complete, and utter debacle. I have never in my life seen such a disgraceful defensive performance, sir. But you know what? I'm still high as a kite. Living the dream, as it were, living large off of what happened on Friday night. Yeah, before we get Mike on the the air, we, we might as well talk about our experience. Let me ask you, sir. I know that I was watching the Celtic game Friday night, and um, I just, you know, was checking my phone, checking Mets scores like I usually do, and it was about the fourth or fifth inning, and I saw zeros, and I always look for the zero and the no-hitter, and I was like, wow, Johan's pitching a pretty good game. And then it became the sixth, seventh, and that's when I started texting you. I was like, are you watching this? Are you watching this? It's, it's potentially going to happen tonight. You know, it's amazing that uh, every game I'd always see people tweeting, oh, it's not going to happen tonight or another game, et cetera, et cetera. But 8,020 games, so that that was the magic number for the match. It would have been cool if it had happened in 8,000. But, wow, I just tell you, sir, it's absolutely incredible the fact that, you know, we're lifelong Mets fans, and uh, we've suffered so much with this team. They've made us cry. They've made us laugh at embarrassment like they did last night. But what Johan Santana did, sir, he has pitched himself <laughs> into Met history, into Met lore. He is truly going to go down as an all-time Met, and that can never be taken away from him, sir. What he did, Tom Seaver couldn't do it. Twice he went into the ninth inning, sir. Two times, two times, two times. He was one strike away. He was two strikes away. But the franchise could not get it done. But, sir... Tom Terrific couldn't do it. David Cohn couldn't do it. Dwight Gooden couldn't do it. Ron Darling couldn't do it. John Matlock couldn't do it. Jerry Kuzman couldn't do it. But Johan, or should I say Nohan, got it done. Of course, as a matter of fact, folks, you can check out my uh, little article that I wrote on it uh, on, our, on our website, puregopg.com. I touched on this a little bit, sir, and uh, I tell you, uh, it sucks that I couldn't watch it, 
but I got to think uh, it's pretty bad that I wasn't I wasn't uh, able to attend the game because you did tell me, hey, I got some free tickets. Uh, you're interested, and I couldn't go, and I will forever kick myself. That also goes down in pure gold, um, you know, in terms of reminiscing. Uh, I actually did have tickets for Friday night's game, and I passed up on because I want to watch my Celtics play. And, yes, they did win. What a loser. But I got to tell you, man, if I was there and you weren't, you would have kicked yourself from now till eternity. Well, I'm still going to kick myself from now until eternity because uh, I had the chance to be there. When you were texting me and I was actually pretty busy, uh, I was so upset. I mean, I was happy. I actually did believe when you first texted me, I think it was the seventh inning or so, I truly did believe that the uh, that the Mets would get the no-hitter, that Johan would get the job done. So I was excited about that. Um, normally, you know, I'd be cautious, but I really had this feeling and. I was right, as usual. Johan just, uh, I mean, he was stellar. He was superb. He was unbelievable. And, you know, and I'm sure, again, we'll touch on this when Mike uh, hops on, but if you look at the history of no-hitters, there's so many bum pitchers. A.J. Burnett, I'm looking at you. So many guys who have not lived up to this hype, so many guys who are not that great um, and have pitched no-hitters. There's really not a ton of all-time greats on that list, and Johan really did something rare because I kind of figured either Nice would do it or R.A. Dickey or somebody like that, but but not the Mets sir. You know what's amazing? I, I had given up uh, on the Mets ever getting a no-hitter like Howie Rose. I mean, you look at David uh, David Cohn, you look at uh, Dwight Gooden, too, and then just recently this year, a perfect game by, what, Phil Umber? Yes. And I knew that once... Phil Umber threw a perfect game. I knew that the, the Mets had no shot of ever doing it because a Phil Umber throws a perfect game for Mets, so I figured it would never happen again. Well, what's poetic indeed is the fact that Phil Umber was the guy, was the centerpiece pretty much of the trade for Johan Santana, and it's amazing that in the same year they both throw a no-hitter. Uh, but, folks, you know, we're, we'll, we'll continue with the no-hitter discussion in a minute as we're joined right now by the one and only columnist for the New York Post, the the incomparable Mr. Mike Vaccaro. And uh, Mike, how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Thank you again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, Mike, you. you know, we're we're here talking about it. Joe and I are discussing it before you hopped on. And how amazing was Friday night? Was that surreal or what? Yeah, it really was. You know, one of the things I think I really enjoyed about that was that, uh, you know, I think Mets fans have a reputation for being a fan base, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, we see it today. <laughs> We've lost two games in a row, and people are saying to me all over Twitter, oh, my God, here it comes. And that's understandable, given the way the last couple of years have gone, I guess. But, you know, what? the other night in the ninth inning at City Field, I really got the sense, and I can't even really put my finger why, but there seemed to be a real confidence among Mets fans that they were actually going to see what they wanted to see. I think part of it is because it was Santana and you had your faith in an A-plus player like that. But just the feeling of the night, I mean, it just really seemed like the – the atmosphere wasn't, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? It's, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And there's a real <laughs> difference there. I think that was kind of one of the neat things about being there. There really was almost a, an anticipation of something great as opposed to you know, the kind of dread you get when you're just waiting for something bad to happen. So you were at the game, Mike? You know, it's funny. I was actually at my house watching the first five innings, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I've kind of gotten it down pat. I'm about two and a half innings away from both stadiums from where I live. In North Jersey, probably more like two innings to Yankee Stadium, two and a half to to uh, to, to City Field, and uh, you know once he, once he got through, I almost very I've done this before. I've probably done it fifteen or sixteen times. Never quite got to the press box because always uh, the, the no hitter you know was was dissolved at one of the other ballparks before I got there, and I almost didn't get in the car that night, fellas, but only because you know I, I mean I saw through five innings, and through like seventy pitches. I'm like. You know what? They might get it, but it's not going to be a one-man no-hitter, and so people are going to are going to talk and so forth. And you know, and you know, and, and, and I drove in. I was listening to the game on the radio, and you know, they kept getting out by out by out by out. And you know, the guys on the radio, Howie Rose, you know, kept saying, "Boy, his pitch count is high." I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know if he can stay in much longer. And as we know, I mean, that was something that was torturing Terry Collins as well. Right. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so I was able to get there by the bottom of the seventh inning. Thankfully, the Mets had a long bottom of the seventh, which really kind of helped the clinch the fact that I was going to be able to get there without a problem. And excuse me, so I did see the last uh, two and a half innings uh, live in the press box, which was uh, you know a pretty extraordinary uh, place to be. 
I mean, us as Mets fans, uh, we don't get that many special moments. I mean, the Yankees have all their world championships. They have uh, perfect games by Dave Wells. Even David Cohn throws them. When, Don Larson, et yeah, Don Larson, et cetera, et cetera. But when, when the, Johan Santana did it, uh, uh, the, the elation I had was almost like when I went back to 1986 watching the World Series with my dad when I was nine years old. It was that special a moment. You know, one of the things that I really took away from this, both from people I've talked to, People have emailed me, you know, just 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 gauging from reactions on Twitter. And I'll tell you what, I've never gotten more of a response uh, from anything I've ever done on Twitter. I, I actually kind of charted my progress from my house to the stadium, and it was, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was very simple and maybe a little dangerous doing it while I was driving. But, um, but 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 the response I got to that was was amazing. And the thing that really struck me both that night and the, in the days that followed was just how emotional this was for a lot of people. A lot of people. You know, you hear all the stories about Red Sox fans ill-fatedly waking their kids in the ninth inning and, or the tenth inning in 1986 and waking their kids up because they wanted them to see the Red Sox win a World Series. And then, of course, we know what happened after that. I, I really got a sense that a lot of people, you know, several people emailed me to tell me that they made sure their kids, you know, watched the game with them because it meant something to them because they would have wanted to have seen it with their late father, their late mother, their, you know, their brother who wasn't who was out of town. It was a really emotional thing for a lot of people. And in some ways, I almost think it might might have even been more special, not necessarily better, but but, but almost as personal as it would be, you know, if they, if they were lucky enough to be alive in '86 or '69 when they watched their team win a championship. Because even as unexpected as, as say 1969 was, and even as out of the blue as their comeback in '86 was, it is the World Series. So you kind of are in a mindset to, in some way, be prepared to to to, to, to experience winning. This is something that is that, that probably as late as the seventh inning, people figured they weren't going to see. And all of a sudden, they're sitting there two outs in the ninth inning with the opportunity to see the first no-hitter in 50 years of Mets history. It really was an amazing moment to really, you know, chronicle for me, but then also later on to hear how other people responded to it. Well, I mean, you know, I'm uh, I'm in my early 30s, as is Joe. You know, my dad is uh, 60-plus. He's been a Mets fan since their inception. And I know he suffered greatly. He told me about 1969 how he made a ton of money because everybody expected the Orioles to win. And, of course, 1986, like you just discussed. But to me, this has got to be the biggest uh, regular season game that I can think of, simply because of the historical aspect of it, simply because of the fact that the Mets waited so long to have it done, simply because they played so many games. And like I mentioned before you came on the air, a lot of great pitchers don't get no-hitters. It's usually some of the lesser guys who have a good day. But the fact that Johan did it, the fact that he's coming off surgery, the fact that it is the first time in over 50 years of Mets baseball, it's just a, it's a, a moment that will live forever, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That It definitely feels good to be a Mets fan. I tell you, if this is the one miraculous moment that we get this year, I'd be happy. Of course, I want them to continue forward and win and whatnot, but, I mean, that, that game, the, the whole idea of it just blew me away. I must have rewound the last pitch about 15 different times, Mike, i got to tell you. It's amazing, and you, and you know what? I will say that the residue of that game is, is, is very apparent because I can promise you last week, last month, any of the last couple of years, if they would have lost the game like they lost last night, there would have been a, a communal suicide prevention plan on Twitter and people, you know, I just know my regular emails and so forth. And it was almost, it was almost like following them, you know, it, it, it really did seem like Mets fans were able to keep last night's game in perspective because they'd actually got something to be able to hold on to. Now, I don't know how many more of these games you can take before you go back to the old behavior. Obviously, last night was a difficult loss, <laughs> but, but I do think that, that, that it really kind of tells you. I mean, and it's funny, I think Mets fans have a fairly good tag with a lot of labels. And I, I think one of the things that makes being a Mets fan unique is that you do share the talent with the Yankees. And Yankees fans obviously can always lord over the 27 championships and so forth. But, right. you know, one thing I think that, 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 that Mets fans right now are being labeled, and I think grossly unfairly, as being kind of like these, uh, I won't say fair weather fans, but fickle fans because of the, the ownership issues and all that other stuff. And I think it's exactly the opposite. I mean, I really think that Mets fans are as, as deeply ingrained in their fanhood as any fan base, in, at least in New York City, and I think what they've been the last couple of years is wounded. They've had that loyalty tested in ways that most fans don't, uh, you know, don't endure in the, over the course of a lifetime. And you go right. back to, you know, the ninth <laughs> inning of Game Six of Game Seven in 2006. What happened in 07 and 08, and then the special agonies of the last couple of years. I mean, I really think that, uh, that, 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 that you, you, even the most fervent 
Yankee fan has to feel good for his neighbor, his brother, his cousin, the Mets fan, who now has something, and not just Friday, but obviously this team, I think, has really captured a little bit of the imagination of Mets fans and, and allowed them to let their cynicism kind of lay on the side for a while because I think they are a very enjoyable team to watch. Even last night, as just god-awful as that game was to endure if you're a Mets fan, there's also the thing that they were they were down 3 nothing. And how many games of the last three years would they get down two, three runs, and there was no reason to watch the rest of the game? And in Absolutely. this situation, they actually came back and took a lead. I'm not saying there's anything you know, for professional sports. Moral victories don't count. I understand that. But I think what you're getting with the Mets this year is even in days when they, when, when, when they do things that make you want to scratch your head, they also give you things that make you think maybe there's something real here. Yeah. And, Mike, let me ask you, when when you wrote the article the next day about the no-hitter, um, have you framed it? Is it like <laughs> written by the 1986 uh, article that you have, you know, about the Mets winning the World Series? Well, unfortunately, I was in college in 86, so I've never actually gotten to uh, to, to write a to write a story or a column about the Mets winning the World Series. I guess the best I was able to do was them winning the uh, NLDS in 86 against the Dodgers in terms of that stand stuff, but... Um, I, I, I will promise you that uh, that I did go out and buy four or five copies of the paper because that's definitely one that I want to be able to have you know, in, you know you know with me forever because it was a it was a very cool moment to be a part of and you know there are times we get carried away in this business because we like it so much but it really was a privilege to to be able to chronicle that and to write 725 words about you know what for me was one of the best nights I've ever watched the match and you know I I grew up a Mets fan so I I, I know all the history I. I lived and died with all the history. 86, I was a fan still, so it was very important to me that summer and that fall. And this was about as you know, This certainly goes on the bookshelf of memories of things that I've been able to do thanks to the New York Mets. Now, look, looking past the no-hitter, I mean, I think it was smart for Collins to rest Santana a couple more days and have him pitch game one against the Yankees on Friday. Do you, I mean, the, the, the Mets are going to be vilified now if they're not in contention and they have a tr- chance to trade Johan. But now you really can't trade him because he's going to go down in Mets history as the probably the only one, or right now the only pitcher to throw a no-hitter for Mets. So are they in a catch-22 now? I suppose I, I, I would question how much you can really get from the O-line in return, even though he does have another year after his contract, only because, look, I think I think everybody understands it, as, as feel-good as the moment was on Friday night. I think everybody understands this is a guy who still might be one pitch away from another year on the shelf or maybe the end of his career. So I mean, I, I, I think last year, I think, you know, they got they did about as about as well as you can in the deadline deal in in, in in the current era when they got Zach Willard for Carlos Beltran. You're not always going to be able to get that at the trade deadline, and if you're not going to, unless the bottom completely falls out, you're going to have a fire sale. You know, I, I think there's some benefit to you know, even even if you're not looking for Santana as a long-term solution, a part of your plan, to be able if you're going to have. A, Harvey and Wheeler as part of your 2013 team, it's not a terrible idea to be able to pair them up with a guy like Johan Santana to, to, you know, to kind of get their footing in terms of learning how to be a big league pitcher. So I think there's value in keeping him around. I realize it's an expensive uh, toy to have, but uh, I, I would be skeptical that, it, that, that, that you'd be able to get full value for him at this point. No, I totally agree with that, Mike. And it's interesting you mentioned the Beltron thing because he's been playing lights out this year, and I, w- I would love – I mean, at the price, the Mets wouldn't be able to afford it, but I would love to have had him still on the team, playing the way that he's playing and carrying the offense. Uh, but Johan would definitely be a good thing. I, I, I mean, honestly, I can't imagine them getting rid of him simply because of what he's done and what he's meant to this franchise. I mean, you know, other than the injuries, which, you know, happens to pitchers, he's been a real gamer. He has not been a, a letdown at all. This is truly the icing on the cake, and like I said, he'll go down in, in Met history forever. But um, I remember in in 08 when he threw those three games back to back to end the season on three days rest, you know, on a on a bad leg, throwing three huge shutouts to try to get the Mets into the playoffs. I mean, he's been he's been wonderful. So uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned that, of course, and you know when you look at the rest of the team, aside from Johan, I mean, Ari Dickey's been doing great, which of course we're we're thrilled with. Nice has been a bit inconsistent. Um, of course, Pelfrey's gone for the year, and I, for one, hope he, you know, I don't see him in a Mets uniform again, considering that Wheeler and Harvey are hopefully on their way up either at the end of this year or at the beginning of next year. Now, um, you know, g- give, us a, give us a thought here, Mike. What are the odds that the Mets are going to stay playing the way that they're playing last night aside? What are the odds that the Mets may be in contention uh, come late September or, or late August, actually? 
I think we'll see how the where they are when they when they survive. The, you know, I think they're in the first of nine games now against the, the Nationals, the Yankees, and the Rays. If they can if they can get out of there four and five, even three and six, but you know four and five, five and four, that would really tell you that they're going to be in it for the long haul. Um, this team reminds me in certain ways of two other teams, and I know that it's that that, that, that you can, these are very precise, but you know, on one level they very much remind me of the 2000 team that. They really went to the you know went to the World Series based on the strength of one superstar, Mike Piazza, and uh, some really good pitching and some really good role players who came to play every day and were grinders and played very hard for their manager. Uh, this team reminds me a lot of that team, but, and in some ways, if you want to try and liken it to '69, look, nothing is going to compare to '69 because this team came out of nowhere, and no New York team ever again is going to be able to be those cuddly little bunch of underachievers just because of where we live. Right, when right. you think about what that team, they know what that team did. I mean, you know, they they were a team that, 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 that was galvanized behind a, a positive a players manager, Gil Hodges, Terry Collins. They you know exceeded expectations, allowed them kind of to sneak up on people. Um, they were benefited. '69 was benefited by a St. Louis team that was a perennial winner, and, and they were kind of down. It looked like the Phillies were down, and obviously the galvanizing moment of that summer was Tom Seaver's imperfect game, which kind of. You know, Howie Rose talks about the fact that, yes, it was, it was, it was that close to a no-hitter, but what really struck him as an 11-year-old Mets fan was that, oh, my God, we have a pretty good team. It was like a realization, <laughs> like, we can really play here. And I think that's really one of the things that people thought about in the days after the Santana thing. Yes, the record was always there, but now you're thinking to yourself, maybe the team can compete. Now, look, the, 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 the margin forever is razor, is razor thin. I think that was really what was underlined yesterday. Look. You expect a fourth string shortstop in the major league to be able to make one of those two plays that Valdespin <laughs> didn't make yesterday. So that's a concern. And it did kind of underline the fact that they're just, they're, you know, on a 25-man roster, there's probably, you know, 23 major league players if you combine everybody. I think we saw the pitcher last night also as a guy who's probably not quite ready. But you know what? If he, uh, There was something about success in baseball, and – you know, if they if they can maintain this going through until July, but they had one in one month of the books there were three games over five hundred. Two months of the books I think there were five games and over five hundred. It's the kind of thing where success really breeds success. If by the All Star game this is the team that's ten, eleven, twelve games over five hundred, I think it's a team that can maintain at least a place near the wild card. I think that's what you want to be. I mean, the old cliche that that Fred Wolpon you know came up with a couple of years ago is meaningful September games. I really think that's a legitimate goal <laughs> for this team to pursue this year. Um, and, and why not? Look, I mean, the Braves have already suffered an eight-game losing streak. The Phillies are a game under 500 right now. The Marlins are hot right now, but they 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 became hot after being unbelievably cold. You know, and, and look, the, the Nationals do look like the cream of the division, but I think the one thing you take away from last night is this: there's not a lot of difference between the Mets and the Nationals. I mean, I really believe yeah. that. And if, and if that's the standard bearer of the of, of the division, why can't they stay in the race? That's a good point, Mike, and I'm looking at the standings here. You know, the Mets are doing exactly what you want to do. They're winning games at home. They're seven over at home, and they're only one under on the road, which is you want to be hovering around 500. And the scary thing is, I know that, you know, a couple of, a couple of weeks back with the Phillies, they got two games pretty much geared up to them, and they went and they gave back the same thing to the Marlins the following, uh, you know, series. But the truth is that the Mets could easily be about 10 or 11 games over 500 if you win last night, if you make a couple of plays here or there, a couple of outs. And, you know, they're playing so well, but I think there's such a great buzz around this team that you've got to be thrilled. Now, now the concern, however, of course, the bullpen has been, you know, bad. It, it, there's no other way around it. The bullpen is just not that good. And then, of course, you have uh, Mr. Ike Davis, uh, Valley Fever himself, at first base. Uh, give us your thoughts on those two things. Well, the bullpen is the one thing that really kind of gives, makes you take pause about the Mets. It, it, it's, I, mean, I had this conversation with somebody not long ago, and they were talking, well, you know, they're seven, eight games over 500, but they, they've, been, they've been almost perfect. I would argue they haven't. I mean, you know, any Mets fan right now, top of your head, can rattle off five games that stick in your craw, two games in Florida, the game against the Phillies last week, last night's game, earlier in the year, games that, you know, with a, with, with, with a professional bullpen, you're going to win those games. So they've done this in spite of handing games away, in my opinion. Ike Davis is a really difficult choice. Like, uh, until last night, I would have told you that, you know, you know all right, so Ike's, Ike's, not, Ike's not hitting very well, but at least he's going to give you a consistent glove. But I can now give you three games that he's cost the match with his glove. You could argue last night by not turning the double play, he, 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 he cost you a game. Definitely. Uh, he, 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 cost you a game he cost you a game against the Diamondbacks 
by making a costly error that cost Bobby Parnell in April. There was another game that uh, I believe in Florida, the Florida game, the first, the first Marlins game they blew. They, 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 was partly on him for not fielding the ball. Uh, these are, you know, if he's not going to play defense, then you really have to wonder why he's the major league level. I think we all saw last year, even more than his rookie year, that he's a guy who really can hit the ball when he gets into a groove. But we're talking about two months ago where he hasn't gotten into a groove. And you know what? This is a team that that, 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 that so often goes through lulls where they struggle to score runs. Uh, It's just hard to have that big hole in the lineup. And, look, when Jason Bay comes back, you're going to start looking for reasons to play Jerry Harris, to, 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 to play Scott Harrison. You're going to look for reasons to keep New and Ice's bat in the lineup and Dude is bat in the lineup. And Dude, and Dude can't play first base. Harrison can't play first base. Uh, if we're still talking about a buck seventy at the end of the American League games where you can use DHs and get other guys in the lineup, and you're still looking at uh, Ike Davis at buck eighty, buck ninety, or, or whatnot, I think that at that point they're going to say, you know what, it's it, it, this. It, it, this isn't an internship. This is a team that's trying to win some games. And the one thing I will say, I will, you absolutely have to credit Sandy Alderson's regime and Terry Collins is a part of that. If you don't perform here, you're not going to stay here. And we've seen it time and again over the last couple of years. Pitchers get released or DFA the next day when they haven't performed. There is a, an accountability here, and it's got to extend to a guy like Ike Davis, even if he's a part of the, the foundation for the next couple of years. He has to perform, and I think he understands that. But understanding it and actually doing something about it are two different things. We've seen a lot of starts and stops from him. He's got to start being a guy that they can rely on as being a guy who's not just going to strike out two and three times a game because it's just not they can't afford to carry that kind of a bat all year. Well, you hit on him, Mike. Uh, you, you said that Collins doesn't want to um, keep people on the team that doesn't perform. Let me ask you this. I know that's a money situation, but – if a guy like Jason Bate comes back, wherever the hell he's been, hurt and now he's sick, <laughs> he comes back and doesn't perform, I mean, do does a team like the Mets, even in their financial situation, bite the bullet and release him? Because I think he's probably going to go down as the worst free agent signing ever in Mets history. Well, I guess you're, gonna, you're not, you're not going to include Alvaro Perez because he was their own free agent, but I think he was <laughs> right. But But here's the thing about Bay guys. I think part of the way that we judge Jason Bay is based on what was expected of him and what he was before he went to the Red Sox and the Pirates. And, look, you know, making what he's making, there's no other way to describe it as being a bust. You don't want a 240 hitter for that. I will say this, though, that even more than as much as anybody else, he's a guy whose approach to the game mirrors the managers. I mean, he plays hard every game. His injuries have all been a product of playing hard, running into a fence in Dodger Stadium, diving after a ball at City Field. I mean, he runs every ball out. It eats at him when he when, when he goes in these slumps. I think that's a good a good guy to have around. Again, in the same way that we're talking about Ike Davis, you know, there comes a point where you have to make a, you know, a delineation point between that and what the production is. I would argue that his production is certainly not as abysmal as Ike Davis is. He's also a guy that, you know, I do think having him around, he's a he's a winning player. He showed that in Boston. I mean, the guy who who really kind of helped him with the Red Sox for two years as being a winning player. And even though he hasn't really shown a lot of positive production with the Mets, I do believe that there's still a positive and winning player in there. And I think that's you know, I think because he plays hard every day, eventually that will come that that will come on the surface. Now we're going on three years. And we haven't seen it yet. Maybe it's just not there. Maybe if it was there, it's gone. But I do think they're going to give him a little bit of time. I mean, the, the, yes, his salary's got something to do with it. I think he's got a real presence in the clubhouse. I think his teammates like him. And I think the fact that uh, that, that, that he plays the game the way Terry Collins wants the game played, I think tells you. I, I think I think gives him better. Plus, look, I mean, we all know how the Mets have done against left-handers this year, and a lot of the, a lot of that failure has been with Bay not around. You know, I love Kirk Newenheis as a player. I think that you that that, that you really got to maximize his performance if you minimize his exposure to left-handed pitching. Same thing with Duda. Same thing with Ike. And I think, I think what Bay does as much as anything is gives him a fighting chance against lefties. Now, you know, you mentioned Bay, of course, and, folks, we are here talking to Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, uh, the one and only. Um, there was a, Obviously, Mike Baxter got hurt on that play in left field. I, I kind of wonder if Jason is a, is a player who hustles. There's no doubt about that. I, I'm still baffled by his uh, – his lack of production, considering how well he did in Boston, and that's a hotbed just like it is here. But I think Jason probably would have made that play, probably have been injured for the rest of the year, and then the Mets fans, uh, he would have been able to go on a high note, saving the uh, the, the no-hitter for Johan. But, uh, Mike, uh, final question for me. 
when you look at this team and you look at the All-Star break, of course, if the Mets are still in it, like we mentioned, do you think there's anybody out there, or uh, maybe that's too broad of a question, but where do you think Sandy Alderson is going to be looking at and what type of uh, what type of deals are you looking to make? Are the Mets going to be buyers or sellers come uh, you know, the 31st? If they're still if, if they're still legitimately in the race, I think they will be limited buyers. And what I say by limited buyers is they'll, 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 they'll take a look at the secondary market, see if there is the odd left-handed relief pitcher who could help them, the, 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 the low-priced, low-profile uh, uh, low uh, addition. Here's the thing, if you're the Mets, and, uh, and I think that, that, uh, that fans will go along with this, if you're going to make a, make a move at the, all, at, at, at the trading deadline, you know, and you want to make an impact, get an impact player, you're going to have to think about giving up parts of your, of your farm system that you don't want to give up. I think right now the Mets are so, are so built upon uh, you know, the, the, the future, the pictures they have down there. Uh, I, think they, I think they would be reluctant to part with those pieces, and I think they should be reluctant to part with those pieces. Uh, and, and I think that's going, as much as anything, that will preclude them from making a serious impact trade for a Met guard, to say, or somebody like that. Um, and, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to really argue with that. Um, the, you know, the, I think they were real winners at the trading deadline last year because they were able to get a Zach Wheeler. And, yes, we won't really know exactly how that trade went down until we see, you know, what kind of major league pitcher Zach Wheeler is. We don't really know what kind of a, a major league pitcher Matt Harvey is yet. I mean, you, you certainly want to think that they're going to be terrific major league pitchers, but we thought about that, you know, about Bill Pulsifer and Paul Wilson, you know, 20 years, 15 years ago. So you never really know, but I, I think if you're the Mets, you'd be very reluctant to part with those players uh, for for a rental, and especially for a rental in a time when I think even if the Mets are involved, quote unquote, in September, September 1st, it's going to be hard for anybody to believe they're going to wind up, you know, emerging with one of those playoff berths intact. I, I could be wrong. I, I would think that that's what would what, what guide their thinking. They don't want to ransom the future for a uh, you know a one in four chance that they're going to be able to make some noise this October. Right now, Mike. Final question for me. Uh, and we'd like to uh, have you on again maybe right after the trading deadline, and hopefully, um, you know, the Mets are still in contention. But gun to your head, does this team compete all year round from what you've seen so far? Well, they'll definitely compete. I mean, I, you know, as long as Terry Collins is the manager, they're going to compete. Now, does that yield, uh, you know, 10 games over 500 by August 1st or 15 games over 500 by August 1st? I mean, I think a lot of goes into that, and you know, I, th- I think obviously we've seen how fickle that could be, especially with the bullpen if they roll out there every day. I think they will. I think they'll be within five games of a playoff spot for most of the year. Um, and that's not saying a lot because there's a second playoff spot in, in play now, but I do think that that's enough to keep people interested and to keep people feeling good about where this team is going. And as important as anything, I think it's, I think it's going to be important to keep in the Mets and David Wright interested in, in retaining that marriage. I really believe and have long believed that that was the marriage that would really be uh, a statement as to where the Mets are, even more than Reyes was, because David Wright really has been, on a lot of different levels, the face of the franchise for seven, eight years, uh, even more than Jose Reyes was. And I do think that's going to get done. I think they'll probably, I, I do think Wright at this point will, gun to my head, I would say he's going to retire as a Met because of whatever deal he's going to sign at the end of this year, assuming that's going to happen. And I think that part of what will make that happen is the Mets believing that he's a part of, of immediate and long-term uh, success and right believing that also. Definitely, Mike. Uh, you know, I agree with that. Although I'm not sold on him being the guy, I don't think the Mets should get rid of him. I definitely think he needs to stay as a Met for the rest of his career. And, Mike, again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And like Joe said, hopefully we'll have you on again, uh, you know, around the trade deadline so we can talk some more uh, baseball. That sounds great, guys. I had a lot of fun. All right, Mike, thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. Folks, that is the one and only, Mike's on a train, apparently. The one and only Mike Vaccaro, folks, New York Post writer, columnist, excellent, excellent host, uh, you know, excellent guest, excuse me, and, you know, we're just really thankful to have him on again. But, folks, so we're going to take a break, and uh, we will be right back to talk a little bit more about the world of sports. You are listening to Pure Gold Radio. I am actress Laura Jean Salerno, and they are David and Joe, and they are bringing you all the upcoming inside exclusive information on everything sports and entertainment ever. Hey, this is Lisa Marie Latino of Longshot Productions, and you are listening to Pure Gold. 
This is Alicia from WSU Wrestling, and you're listening to Pure Gold. Hi, this is Morgan Willard, Miss Oklahoma USA 2010. Make sure to check out Pure Gold every week at puregoldpg.com. Dave and Joe always bring the best in entertaining talk radio and great guests like me. Absolutely, Morgan. You are a wonderful guest. And i got to say, I love the way she says, like me. Very perky, very happy. And um, I just wanted to touch on this briefly. The uh, Miss USA 2012 pageant was this past weekend, and uh, Joe and I are in the works, the possibility of getting Miss New Jersey, who made it to the top ten, possibly next week. And we are looking into getting Miss Pennsylvania USA 2012, who resigned, and uh, there's a lot of controversy swirling around that, so that should be interesting. But, sir... Just to throw that out there, we turn our attention, before we get Mr. Mike Francesa, Kevin Canessa on, to the world of the round ball with the lines on it. That's right, sir, basketball. Break it down for us. Let me tell you, sir, a week ago, uh, the the Celtics were in trouble down 2-0, and um, I thought that, you know, Try to make it respectable. The, the Celtics are about pride. They have, they're, you know, they're a very proud organization. I thought that if they could win one of the two games at home, and you know, because everyone was picking the, the Heat to pick to win one of those two games, game three or four in Boston. But um, fortunately for me, as a Celtic fan, the, the, the Celtics won the two games at home, and then shockingly, the, the playoffs have have completely turned 180, sir. You had the two teams that were dominating the first two games, the Spurs and the Heat, and both teams that went back home, the Celtics and the Thunder, turned it around, and not only turned it around, sir, but won game five back at the other team's home court, which is so impressive. Last night's game last night showed me that this team has a lot of heart. It shows the team is, is yes, it's old, but it, it, it will never die, um, you know, just like that. It won't give up. And it showed a lot. It showed what I really say. Have some guts! Show some guts! Get him! And, and I play that. I, I play that because... Have some guts! Show uh, some guts! Twice? Get him! One was for LeBron and one was for Dwayne Wade, actually. <laughs> the, the reason why I say that is because uh, you you have two superstars like Dwayne Wade, sir, and LeBron James, and without heart, without guts, without determination, you will go down 3-2 to a team like the Boston Celtics that want it more, and they're veteran teams, sir. That's what's crazy about this. They've won a championship in 2008. I know that's four years ago, but a team like the Heat are supposed to be hungry, especially LeBron James. He took his talents to South Beach, <laughs> and they're down 3-2. <laughs> It's un- you know, it's unbelievable. When we had our show last Wednesday, uh, I was talking about how the Spurs had locked it up. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I was I was absolutely wrong about that. But what I find so fascinating is, like you said, the fact that you have the two series, both teams going in up 2 nothing, the teams that were probably favored, and now they're fighting for their lives. I think the Spurs still have a chance in this series. Um, I mean, I, I predict them to win before the series. So I can't go back on that prediction. Not feeling too confident about that. But, you know, the crazy thing as far as the Celtics are is that the Celtics could should have, could have, should have, would have. I mean, they should. This, this series should be over. Like your career, Joe. <laughs> this series should be over. Like LeBron James and his talents in South Beach, sir. The only thing they are hungry for is some pizza or maybe a Cuban sandwich because there's a lot of Hispanics down there. <laughs> the Heat suck. Their fans suck. They make me sick. They make me want to throw up. But, sir, I am thrilled. I'm rooting for your team. I hope the Celtics do it. I don't think they'll win at all, but you know what? Hell, I've been wrong before. I've proven many times. And uh, you know what? I'm I'm happy that the Celtics are playing the way they're playing. I watched that second game and I was just hanging on by a thread at the end of that. Uh, I felt like it was my team that I was watching. I felt like you know the Mets had transformed into a basketball team, and I was watching them on the verge of elimination. But sir, it's been exciting. This has been two you know awesome series in a row. You know, simultaneously running. And a lot of times in the NBA, you don't have that, sir. So these these are at least going six and possibly seven. Yep, and uh, let's just say Rondo is just the man right now. I mean, he's playing with three Hall of Famers, but he's actually carrying the team, and he's doing such a great job, I think, recently. He's really stepped up to be the leader of this organization, the leader of the team anyway. Um, 
And I just think that w- without without Rondo, which there was trade talks, I don't think the Celtics would be here, obviously. obviously. So, so the fact that the Celtics could have won the series already is even mind-boggling for me as a Celtic fan because everybody but everybody was picking the Heat in six. or maybe. Except for us, of course. Well, yeah, I, I thought the Celtics were going to lose the series because I thought that the Celtics had to win one of the two, first two games and be up 2-1 in the series. But somehow the Celtics are able to win three in a row against the Miami Heat, the team that is destined, quote, unquote, to win a championship. They're, they're destined to slop it out. You know what, sir? Let's look at let's look at the truth. The fact is that yes, that's, that's Paul Pierce's nickname. Of course, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, let's look at let's look at the the facts here. The Celtics are old. They're they're guys who are on the the last legs of in Rondo. You know they've had the Hall of Fame careers pretty much. They basically got three Hall of Famers on the team. And you look at these other three goofs in Miami, and you look at the rest of the team, and Miami may have more quote-unquote physical talent, quote-unquote, but the better team, shadow, way on the shadow of a doubt, hands down, is the Celtics, and that's why they're winning. So I would have loved it for the Celtics to get blown out of that first game and then come back and win four in a row, but they're going to win it regardless, sir, and the Celtics have looked great. Rondo has been an animal, you know, scoring 40-plus points the other day. And he's just been a leader. Uh, you know, he's a he's an awesome player. He's a great point guard, one of the best, if not the best, in the NBA. And I gotta tell you, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Pierce getting fouled out every game. And I mean, these guys are playing hard. They're doing what they gotta do. The one thing that makes me sick about this series is watching Dwayne Wade and uh, LeBron Queen <laughs> LeBron Queen James flopping around the floor like a bunch of fish every time somebody comes close to them. And sir, let's talk about the efficient for a second. Your team is winning, so there's no no need to harp on it too much, but you know the other day when the foul was called in the second game of the series, when uh, Mr. Wade kicked off of Kevin Garnett's leg to make a shot, and then Garnett was the one called for a foul. I mean, are you kidding me with this officiating, sir? Yeah, it's been, it's been bad, you're right, and um, I'm going to say that the Celtics have gotten some calls, but uh, the, the Heat have just gotten just as many calls, to be honest with you. It's been bad all around. The fact that Paul Pierce fouled out three out of the last five games besides last night is ridiculous because uh, if he's considered the most underrated superstar in the game, sir, I think behind Kobe Bryant and maybe Kevin Durant, I think I'd want Paul Pierce taking that last shot, you know, and to win a game. And he did take that last shot. How sweet was that shot that he, you know, that three-pointer that he shot over LeBron James to make it 90 to 86 last night? It was amazing, sir. I actually put on Twitter that uh, Paul Pierce had buried had buried the um, the Heat with that one. I mean, you know, they, they he scored a couple of points afterwards, but. Um, Pierce really, he's awesome. He's a great player. There's no doubt about it. And, sir, let me ask you this. You know, we rag on LeBron for not being clutch, but in the uh, the last game, when they went into a, he ended up getting that three-pointer to go into overtime, not this past game, the game before that. When he ended up getting that three-pointer to go into overtime, sir, um, yeah, he didn't take the very last shot. There was less than a minute left, but he did make that game-tying three. You give him any credit for that, sir, or is that just a lucky shot in your opinion? I think LeBron James gets way too much heat. Um, what is that? That's pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, find that. But I'm... yeah, he definitely gets way too much heat for you know the team losing. Thank you. Uh, he and I think that he doesn't get enough credit for carrying this team because right now Dwayne Wade is a, a shell of himself. LeBron James he could have a triple double every game and nobody will even care because. I don't know if it's just that he's got that cocky attitude or what it is about him, sir, but he's not likable. He's not Michael Jordan. Well, I'll be honest with you. Kobe Bryant, he's not likable either. Not, no, Kobe's not the job. Kobe is not likable, but, but everybody respects Kobe respect because him. Kobe has heart. You know, and he has he has guts, he has talent. He's not as physically uh, he's not as physically talented per se as LeBron is. LeBron is one of the most physically talented guys that he's he's a, he's a monster, but he just does not have that heart to win. And I think that uh, Rick Riley wrote an article on ESPN today about it, talking about how you know we hate him pretty much because of what he did, the whole taking my town South Beach, and that's a joke and that was a disgrace and an embarrassment. But I think we pretty much hang our hats on that because you know what? Other than that, I mean, he he doesn't really talk a lot. He doesn't sit there and talk garbage. I mean, he's played pretty consistently. He just is not clutch in the sense that that, that is not in any way, shape, or form the guy that you want to take your last shot in a game. And he should be because of what he's getting paid, sir. Yep. And I, I know, like, you agree with me, but there are teams, uh, there are people that like other teams. And I just want to say, like, even if you're a Laker fan or if you're a Heat fan, even if you're a Thunder fan, 
if you do not respect the way the Celtics play basketball as a team game, then you're you're lost because that's why I'm a big Celtic fan now and since you know back in '85 when I first started being a Celtic fan, I've never given up on this team. I know that they went through a lot of bad years, obviously, but when Doc Rivers came and formed the big three, and let me tell you, sir, the only big three are in Boston. There's no big three in Miami. They don't play as a team, and the fact that this team still has it one last run in them is just amazing. Four years later. The one thing I also want to say, too, is Kevin Garnett in 2009 hurt his knee. Celtics were going to actually repeat that year because they were that damn good. They were, going to, they were going to take the title again, but Kevin Garnett hurt his knee, and they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals Game 7 to Orlando Magic, and then the Orlando Magic just got killed by the Lakers. But uh, the, the, we could have been looking at a Celtic dynasty for the last four years, like winning three out of the last four years, if it wasn't for the fact that Kevin Garnett hurt his knee and then you know the, the Lakers won a couple of titles themselves. It's just amazing the way they play, sir. You have to respect the way they play basketball. No, you're you're absolutely right. Joe Thank in you. Wallington. What's up, Joe? <laughs> and you know, the reason uh the reason that I play these clips, sir, is uh for one simple reason. Uh, you have a show on the internet? Because when you spoke to Mike, when you were on his airways promoting this uh wonderful program that we have, you were talking to him about that. You were talking about the big three. And sir, you gotta respect him as again, other than longer they're up there in age and the Celtics are a team, yeah, you may hate I have a coworker who hates the everything Boston because he's a Yankee fan, but even he's rooting for the Celtics and he wants them to win. That's saying a lot because he detests New England the pay he's a Giants fan and he hates the Patriots uh, you know and the and the Red Sox. Go figure. But um you gotta respect this team and you gotta respect their ability because they're just a winning they're winning franchise. Yeah, they've only got the one title in the last, you know, several years, but sir you got to respect what they're doing right now, and even if they don't win at all, I mean, this is a hell of a run for the for the Celtics, and if they're going to go out, this is just as close to going out on top as you can get. I think tomorrow night, the Celtics going back to Boston, they're going to have that confidence, especially when they go back home. They're, they're a tough team to close out at home, and it's not a closeout game for the Boston Celtics, but I think that the Boston Celtics... Oh, it will be, sir. It'll be a closeout game. <laughs> they have the killer instinct to close out the Miami Heat, and I think they will tomorrow night. What, do you think that... Um, I think I'm going to sweat out a close one to two point game, though. Do you think that's going to be that close? Or do you think the Celtics is blown out? I think odds are. I'm going to say blowout, but I think odds are it will be close because other than that first game, every single game has been down to the wire so close. I mean, so this is why you like basketball. This is why you're a basketball fan for this series because it's so exciting. It's just, it's just. I'm telling you, by the edge of your seat, you're sitting. There. I'm not even a Celtics fan. I'm not a Heat fan, and I'm sitting there sweating bullets watching these guys play and just watching amazing basketball and dominating performances and it's just it's amazing and I love it right I absolutely love it and, and I think that the Celtics will win it I think they'll win by about 10 points or so but going to my head I'd probably have to say that it's going to be close because every game other than game one has been so close if if the Heat go down the way they go down by losing four straight to the Boston Celtics a team that's quote-unquote over the hill and tired and whatever you want other metaphors you want to use for them uh does this cost Eric Spolstra his job I don't know I, I don't I you know that's another thing that Rick Riley said uh and let me just touch on this real quick is that LeBron is not Dwight Howard. He didn't say Dwight Howard, but he's uh, insinuating he's not getting coaches fired. He's not forcing coaches out out of the you know game, as it were. I don't think Spolstra gets fired. I think they probably give him another year. But I mean, if you can't win with Chris Bosh, LeBron James, I mean Bosh has been playing other than last night. Chris Bosh, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade. Then you know what? It's a mixture of your talent. I don't see what what is the coach going to do. The coach is going to tell these guys who would play who who play basketball. The guy doesn't even play the game. You're going to sit there and tell me that he's going to have have these amazing strategies that these guys who have been playing ball since they were little kids, since they were in diapers, they can't figure it out. I think coaches are overrated, sir. Um, I, no more so than, than in baseball, I believe. You just need guys to manage the talent. But, man, I tell you, if, if they can't win with this with this arrangement, then they've got a serious problem on their hands. And let me ask you this. Since, you know, you were big on the Spurs about a week ago, and boy, has the, you know, the tide has turned about that, uh, what do you think is going to happen tonight with the Spurs and Thunder? Oh, geez, I think... <laughs> I think the odds are that the Thunder's going to come and they're they're going to end up sweeping uh, the last four games simply because they are at home, if I'm not mistaken. They are. Um, and it's going to be tough for the Spurs to win. But sir, I know the the Thunder with Kevin Durant, they're they're a great team. But man, how do you win 20 games in a row and then just go and cough up four games and just blow chunks? 
I think the Spurs got to win. They've got to give it their all. But odds are, if you put a gun to my head, that they're not going to win. They're not going to make it out of this series. When I'm thinking they're going to win it all. Yeah, um, I'm agreeing with you because I think when you go back to Oklahoma, to a team that's really young and hungry, and I'm not saying the Spurs aren't hungry. But, um, you know, I, I just think that the Oklahoma closes it out with uh, the momentum that they have right now. They ride into the finals, and if the Celtics get there, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the Thunder actually win the title over the Celtics. I think you got to give the Celtics a little bit more credit, sir, and say that it's it's almost a 50-50. You know, it, it's interesting because when you look at – when you look at the situation, what you have with the Thunder and the Spurs is the opposite of what you have with the Celtics and the Heat. With the Celtics, you have the older, more experienced team, you know, beating the quote-unquote young, hungry team, and with the with all this talent in the world, and they're probably more physically talented again in name alone than the the Thunder. But the Thunder are winning, and they are young and hungry, so they're probably gonna get the job done. So, um, you know what? We're gonna have to shift gears here for a second because we are joined right now as we close out the show. By the incomparable, the one... And we out of your home. <laughs> yes, Mr. Kevin Canessa joining us this evening for probably the last time, uh, you know, since uh, the Devils are about to send him home, a sad, crying sack of you-know-what. Sir, let me ask you, I mean, are you are you on the verge of tears? Uh, what's going on here? How, how, what is it like in the Canessa home right now? I heard the police are looking for you. So please uh, share with us that on that, sir. I am I am on the at the point where I'm resolved that it's going to happen. I'm resolved it's going to happen tonight, and I'm going to be watching the premiere of Royal Pains tonight, and not <laughs> the Devil's Game. So Dr. Hank. I'll tell you how that's how resolved I am that I'm I'm ready for the for the nonsense of the Hamptons over a hockey game tonight for the first time since October. So, okay. well, you know, you know, Kev. Uh, it's it's interesting that you you bring up of course USA because they have some wonderful programming there. But um, as a Devils fan though, let me ask you: this last twelve year run, if they go out tonight, you know it is what it is. But are you are you proud of this team for making it this far? Are you upset that they 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 couldn't get the job done, or is it just the, the Kings are just that damn good that uh, you know what nothing was going to stand in their way? All right, you've just asked me two hockey questions. Is uh, uh, this whole 2012 nonsense is really going to happen since you've asked all these questions? <laughs> I've asked him the question. Shut up. Joe, you must have fed him these questions. Out of oh, that. definitely. He's feeding something. Well, here's the thing. I wrote about this on my blog last night, and you have to be you, you can be proud of this team, but you can't be satisfied with this. You know, I, I, I even wrote this. that if you ask Lou Lamarillo, are you proud of your team? He'd say that he's proud of the team, but he's not satisfied. Like, this is not acceptable. Nothing but a championship is acceptable in Lou's mind, which is why he's right. the greatest GM in sports, you know? So I look at this season as an amazing, uh, amazingly fun team. In fact, I would even go as far to say that this was probably the most enjoyable Devils team in my lifetime. Like, they're just a fun group of guys to, to root for. With that said... When all is said and done, even though they didn't make the playoffs last year, even though they beat the Rangers and the Flyers in consecutive rounds, this is a failure of a season. You can't, you you, you have to win the championship when you get there. Uh, and but 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 the Kings, like you said, you know, you you ask if the Kings are just too damn good, and the, and the answer is yes. I mean, this team is everything that everybody wrote about that I was dismissing and laughing at, thinking that okay, eventually <laughs> they'll you know they'll, they'll they'll get their due when they finally meet an Eastern Conference team, but. I mean, come on. The Devils have one goal seriously in this in this whole series. The other one was off a, a King King player's chest. So that'll tell you how good this team is. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's crazy when you look at what's happened here. But uh, the reason that I ask if you were sad, or if you were at least uh, proud of your team is because I was looking on Twitter yesterday, and one of our guests, who we actually played a clip of, Lisa Marie Latino. She uh, she had mentioned that it's a shame the the lack of coverage the Devils get, and I know you get the the real hardcore Devils hockey fans such as yourself who are you know going to the games and sitting there sweating bullets and stuff at these games and just following them. But when you look at this last twelve years, it's it's been quite a run. And of course, uh, Lou Lamarillo being the genius behind all of it, you said you can't be you you you're proud, but you can't be happy. And I agree with that, of course. But when you look at the the slop fest that we've had in in, in City Field, and of course in Shea Stadium, minus minus Johan and his no hitter, uh, of failed expectations and hopes. I mean, you got to look at this franchise and at least think they've done a damn good job this last decade plus. It's remarkable. I mean, you you talk about the number of hundred point seasons they've had. You talk about making the playoffs all but one season uh, since nineteen ninety seven. Uh, 
the things that they do in the regular season have been have been quite remarkable. But it all comes down to winning a championship. This is why I love Lou so much. Where he he'll he'll, he'll tell you know for for the first time as the season ends, I don't think the Devils are going to be firing their coach. You know, Pete DeBoer's been marvelous. And that's a result of saying you you had a fantastic season. It just wasn't good enough. That's all. You know, like you you got to strive for next year to get back and win the cup again. It was the same thing back in 2001 when they lost to the to the Colorado Avalanche in the in the finals. Yes, it was a fantastic season. They got to the the very they played in the last game of the season in a, in a game seven, but they didn't win it. So until you come back and you win it, it's not success. But it's it is something to be proud of, it, which doesn't make much sense though when you think about it. Right now, uh, Kev, I gotta tell you. I mean, a week ago at the start of the series, if you told me that we'd be talking about Game Four and this is elimination night for the the Devils, I I, I mean, I, I'd be like, yeah. you gotta be kidding me. But uh, the the only way I could describe right now, I have a bite for you, and I'm sure you've heard it before. But this is the way the Kings have gone through the playoffs. <laughs> bang bang bang. I mean, that's how it's felt. If it's felt like we've been steamrolled, it feels like we're in a fight against Manny Pacquiao. We. <laughs> it's, it, and the first two games, the, the the Devils needed to grab one of those two games, um, yep. those two to one killers that we lost both of those, and then we just, you know, we got steamrolled in game three. But sir, Quick has been amazing. Um, I just think that the the Devils. Uh, I don't know how to explain it other than that it seemed like they they um, the honeymoon effect that I was worried about carried into this this playoff series. I think they were, I don't want to say to a man they were content that they beat the Rangers, but some some part of me feels like this team uh, took the, the pedal off the metal, as it will, against the Kings. I, I agree on both regards. You know, this Kings team is for real, and, on the, and I, I have a hard time believing it's anything other than an emotional letdown after you you beat the Flyers and the Rangers in consecutive series, that's like winning two championships in and of themselves to a Devils right. player and to a Devils fan, you know. So that's why I, you know, and here and here and here come in the high and mighty Kings who who lost only two games throughout the entire playoffs. Who they played twice this year, but very rarely do they even play them twice. You know, don't know two. There's not much of a rivalry there. It's almost like an emotional letdown, and you could sort of tell. In games one and two, those crowds, Joe, were pitiful. I mean, I, I can't. I mean, I, I, I don't meant to be disrespectful to anybody who was at that game as a fan, but those fans were not into it. They were not loud, and and I don't want to hear this nonsense that it was NBC's audio because it wasn't. Those crowds were pathetic, and and unfortunately, when you when you're when you're a player, they they'll tell you they thrive off that crowd noise, and it wasn't there, and and, and it showed. I mean, it was just Kev, embarrassing how bad those crowds were. Let me ask you, why why do you think that is? What is it with the with the Devils faithful? Because I, I remember looking at your your you know Twitter timeline, and you did tweet quite extensively about it, which I find to be odd. I mean, you're in the Stanley Cup Finals for goodness sake, the greatest trophy in professional sports, as far as uh, you know we're concerned here at PG. How is it that yep. you don't? How is it that you're not going nuts? I mean, you have a chance. Better, no, the other 28 teams, the other teams are, are sitting at home, you know, polishing uh, polishing their shoes, their bowling shoes, and the Devils are yeah. in there, your team, and you're not pumped. I, I don't understand that. Excellent point, David. Uh, and I, this is what I think it comes down to. You look at some of the big-name big, big name, uh, tickets, big-ticket uh, items like the World Series and the Super Bowl. Those crowds are not always the most enthusiastic and the loud and most boisterous because I think what happens is when you get the, the, the final rounds, you get these fly-by-nights who have, who have big bucks, who can afford to pay 900 bucks for a, for a single ticket to go to an event that the average fan can't afford to pay to go see. So I've always felt... And I'm not surprised that the crowd was like this, that as you get further and further along, you, you find out you're, you're going to have fair-weather fans who wind up getting these tickets because they can afford to pay for them. That's what I want to hope happened here, that you got a bunch of, uh, you know, yuppies and whatnot who, who just were willing to shell out the money to say, ha, ah, I've been to a Stanley Cup Finals game, and it's not your average blue-collar fan who normally goes to the games. And you can't deny that, uh, that it doesn't happen in other sports, too, because if you look at some, some World Series games, the crowds are not the same as they are in the National League Championship Series and, 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 and the Division Series games. So I think that's sort of what happened here. I, that's what I want to believe happened here because the crowds against Florida, 
uh, Philadelphia and the Rangers were phenomenal. I mean, they, they, these guys were saying they were some of the loudest crowds they ever heard in a Devils game. And all of a sudden, you get to the finals in game number one. It's not even the people aren't even waving their towels. You hear the silly public address announcer saying, "All right, get off your feet and make some noise." That's unacceptable for a final series. Yeah, I mean, it, it did hurt that the Kings scored first in both of those two games that took the crowd probably out of it. The, the, the Devils never have had the lead in this series, which is crazy. You're they right. only have two goals in this series, which is crazy. Um, the reason why I'm disappointed about this is because it's such a crapshoot, especially with hockey, sir. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at an eight-seeded L.A. Kings team, and I know that they say that they're not an eight-seed, but they are an eight-seed this year. And, it ta- I mean, anybody that gets into the playoffs, it seems like, in hockey, can make a good run like the Kings have and make this to the finals. So that's why. Um, I feel like it's such a disappointment because now you have to start all over again next year. You have to worry about Zach Parisi, if they're going to sign him, if they can afford him. It's just a letdown. And, uh, I mean, I just am in shock still that this team is down 3-0 tonight. I'm with you, Joe. I, 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 you couldn't have put it any better than that. And it, it's kind of scaring me now because I think I, I, if, if they had won the Cup, I think it would almost be a ticket to Parisi coming back. Now I'm not so sure. You know, he didn't get that final take, so maybe it's time for him to move on and go somewhere else. I, 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 and, and, and boy, would it kill me if he wore blue. Oh, oh my God, I just don't even want to think about that because that's been the talk of the town. If he's a, if he's a Ranger next year, I, I don't even know if I'll watch hockey anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to take it one game. I mean, I'm going to do Boomer's approach tonight, and I'm still going to be optimistic about the Devils. I think that uh, there is a, a little bit of pressure on the Kings to finish this job tonight because – one shift, one period, one game, I think that if the Devils somehow could crack a, a chink in the armor of the L.A. Kings and somehow win this game, they're going to go back home. I think they're going to be rejuvenated. They could win that game, and all bets are off on game six. I just wanted to get to game six at this point. But I think that uh, just yep. make a small chink, score that first goal, get the confidence going, let the Devils know, I mean, let the L.A. Kings know that you're not going to go down without a fight. Do not just roll over and let this team right. sweep you. I don't. I do not want to have that to happen tonight for the New Jersey Devils. And, and the good news too about that, Joe, is that uh, in the last round against the Phoenix Coyotes, that's exactly what happened. They they wound up having to go back to Phoenix for a game five. So if that happens, I def, I couldn't imagine the Devils coming home and losing three uh, three consecutive home games. That's just they haven't done it all year. So you're right. If they just find a way, you know, take a like you said, one goal at a time, one period at a time. And then stranger things have happened. It just happened two years ago with the Flyers and the, and the Bruins. So it, it's not like it's completely impossible. It's just not 100% probable, that's all. Right. So tonight the game starts at 8 o'clock. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll wrap up the season next next week with you, and hopefully it's with a Devil Stanley Cup, but we'll see. We'll remain optimistic one more night, sir. Let me just ask you one last question before we let you go because we're up on sure. 701. We're on the overrun. Where were you when Johan Santana pitched a no-hitter? Let me tell you a quick story to go with it. I was home after the second inning. I wish I had written this down. I wish I had tweeted it. I wish I had emailed you or texted you this, Joe. I looked after the second inning. I saw zero 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 across for both teams, and I just said to myself, boy, wouldn't it be funny if tonight were the night? And uh, then I saw somebody texted something in the seventh inning or tweeted something to put the game back on and uh, was more excited about that than I think anything I can ever remember. I mean, I mean, we're talking about I was at the, the September 21st game in 2001, Piazza's home run. I was lucky to be at game six and seven in 1986. But that wow. was just one of those moments, yeah. I mean, that, that moment was like something I'll never, I'll never forget. We all said it. You know, we just thought we were going to die before we ever saw a Mets no-hitter. And you know, the shame of it is is that my uncle, who is actually, my, my great uncle, who is actually the real reason that I am a Mets fan, he was the one who taught my dad baseball, took him to Little League games. Uh, you know, he used to be a Giants fan, then they shifted over to the Mets, and the Mets came to town, and the Giants moved. He yeah. got my dad into it, my dad got my brother and I into it, and we're Mets fans all because of him, and he died about three weeks ago. And it's a oh, shame my. that he was, yeah, he was never able to see that, uh, that Johan no-hitter, because I'm sure he would have been... Uh, he, he would have been as thrilled as anything to be able to see this. You know, it's almost like the, all those Red Sox fans who died without seeing a Red Sox World Series. And, you know, I just think about that now, and it's kind of sad, you know, but uh, it's definitely well, something. You, and, say that again, sir? I'm, I'm sorry, bro. But what I was going to say is, you, you know, we're all, we're all men of faith. We have uh, a strong, you know, in, in, in our own different ways, our uh, 
our uh, belief in Jesus Christ and, 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 and in God, and, and, you, and, and you think, and I like to think that maybe your uncle had something to do with that no-hitter. You know, I always I always like to think that way. You know, he's up there watching down, and and that had some kind of some kind of factor in that. You know, I mean, and, and I'm so sorry to hear about this. I didn't know. I didn't know. This is the first time I've heard about him uh, dying. Yeah, so I, 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 I have a, a tweet about it uh, earlier today, and it just it just struck me because I spoke to my father last night, and he mentioned it to me. And I was like, wow, you know, it's it, yeah, it's been about three weeks, and it, it's just, uh, I mean, he would have loved it. He he always used to talk about the Mets, and uh, I'm sure he would have been thrilled. And of course, the Gary Carter passing away earlier this year, and I know some people uh, talk about the eight eight runs, eight hits, et cetera, et cetera, eight strikeouts, eight strikeouts, eight thousand yeah. games. I mean, it, it it was uh it was amazing, Kevin. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it, but like I said with Mike Vaccaro, I saw the pitch. The final pitch about 15 times. I still have it saved, and uh, it's going to go down in, in history, my friend. You know, it's, honestly, it's one of my, my top three moments of all time as a as a sports fan, and uh, you know that includes a lot of championships between my three my three favorite teams too. So uh, I'm with you, and uh, again, you and my, you and your whole family are in my prayers. I'm sorry to hear this about your own. Thank you. You, me out you really Thank do. You, Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. No, Definitely appreciate the kind words, and of course, Kevin, we always appreciate you coming on. And hell, even if the Devils are done next week, you know, still hop on, and you know, don't be a stranger. We don't want to have to wait till uh, Fantasy Phenom 12 to see you again, sir. Seriously, I hope this is like not the end, because I was like, I told you, Wednesdays are like my favorite day now, so I don't want this to end at all. Who, who cares if the Devils are not there? You guys have been so good to me. The two of you are are, are amazing people, and um, I'm getting emotional here. I don't know why. What the hell? Thank you for you, you, see what you've done to me, DJ. Thank you. But, uh, so, uh, I'm looking forward to next week, and thank you for all you do for me, guys. I'm I'm very grateful. Definitely, sir. Thank you once again for coming out. Really appreciate it, and we'll we'll talk to you all soon. Right. David, Joe, take take care. Talk to you later. You too, Kev. Folks, the one and only Kevin Knesset, sir. That puts a wrap on this show. Another great pure gold. It is. Before I let you go, sir, let's go Mets tonight. I think it's a crucial game that the Mets win tonight and hopefully take two out of three, but they cannot lose again tonight. If they don't win tonight, they'll never win a game for the rest of the year. Let's go Devils tonight. <laughs> let's take it one game at a time. I'm still of the belief that if you win tonight, you, you put a little chink, a little a little crack in their confidence. The L.A. Kings will go down. Hopefully the Devils win tonight. And one more time, let's go Celtics. Let's win another title. Oh, what's the name of your show? Uh, pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. Folks, make sure you tune in next week, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to always keep it PG. Good night, everyone. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, any and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.